What app would you create if you had the time and resources to do so? What app would you build if you could? Today's episode is going to be about apps, all about apps. How to scale the app, how to get the initial customers, how to find the right team, and more. I always tell people, do it as cheap as possible. If sometimes some ideas, you don't even need an app to test it. This is Boone, the guest of today's episode. I think the key thing with minimum viable product is that it at least forces you to think the opposite direction, right? Because mm. if, you, if your mindset is already trying to build something minimal, you don't need this concept to remind you to not go overboard. Mm. The problem is us human nature is that we want as many sort of bells and whistles as possible. So this is at least a way to control you from going crazy with what you're trying to build. Boon Chu is the founder of Tapalo Media, a leading mobile app studio. The company has built apps for Discovery Channel, iHeartRadio, WeWork, TimeHop, and Walmart. They have also created an open source framework, like named as Booster, which startup founders can use to accelerate mobile app development for their business. So they're doing some innovative stuff. Before starting Tapalo Media, Boone worked as a software engineer and a game developer at several leading tech companies, including Microsoft and Amazon. In 2019, Boone helped a founder to launch Hickey, the world's first friendship and dating app for autism community. Autism community. Yes, they did something unique there, and I love that fact. That was out-of-the-box thinking, and that was the thinking that someone someone from us should have thought about this earlier. But until and unless the hits come closer to you, we don't start thinking about it. Whenever it is happening in the world, it is happening to someone else, it's not happening to us. That's the thinking that we all have. But they did something unique, and I loved it. Before moving forward, I want to thank you, all of you. It's been a long time since I've asked you, how are you doing? Hey, I'm talking to you. I won't say stop driving, stop cooking, stop reading, stop doing work, whatever you're doing. Just answer me how you're doing. Good. I hope you all said good. If not, I'm sending you the best wishes that you should start feeling good. If you didn't get a chance to get in touch with me, you can go to issuesing.com, I-S-H-U-S-I-N-G-H, issuesing.com. You can send me an email there, and yeah, we can talk. Yeah, for sure. Why not? If you didn't get a chance to go to startingtoknow.com, startingtoknow.com, go, to, go there. You can learn more about business-related topics, in-depth information, stats, awards, many awesome things. Go there, have a look, pick your favorite topic and start learning. Starting to know.com, the evolution of this podcast. So now without further ado, let's welcome Boone to the show. Hi Boone, welcome to the show. Hi sure. thanks for having me. My pleasure to have you here. Why don't we start with Tapalo Media? What is that according to you? What, what do you do at Tapalo Media? So Tapalo Media, it's a venture builder. So we help startup founders um, uh, execute their technology initiative. Actually, we help them from product ideation all the way to uh, marketing, fundraising. Uh, we give them advice on some things, but we do full production work for them. Uh, design, development, 
helping them figure out what to build, uh, things like that. So it's more of a venture builder, not so much a an agency because we do it on a cash and equity basis uh, if they want to. So we get we get we get they get they pay us to cover our costs, but they also give us equity to um, you know to, so that we have a skin in the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. As you said, Tapolo Media is all about apps, or mostly about apps. Uh, so, what is currently happening in the app world? Any any insight? Any news? Mm. Uh, you mean as far as what we're working on? Um, not in a generic like industry overview. Mm. Um, I would say in the app world in general, it's still a very vibrant um, sort of space. Some people think that there's just way too many apps out there, but I, I actually beg to differ. Uh, app is still a very important strategy for a lot of businesses to have um so apple and google they continue to pour uh, a lot of uh, funds and money into the ecosystem because it's actually a big obviously a big money driver for them revenue driver for them so uh in general i would say that um app is still a very vibrant space to be in obviously if you get in to the app space 10 12 years ago that was sort of the the gold rush era um Mm. but now is still a very good time to get into, especially if you're running a business um, app. It's not something you can ignore because of um, you know of a few factors. Um, but app is a very important, I think, strategy uh, strategy to have for anyone running a business. Yeah, app app can be a strategy, as you said. Uh, don't you think like there are challenges as well when it comes to going with the app first approach? Because they people can ruin your image like right away because they have the power uh, to give you their views or feedbacks. Maybe sometimes those those are original. Sometimes those people can be a competitor. What do you think? Uh, yes and no. So I I think personally, if um anyone anything that you do, including mm. your business, people can give you bad reviews right they can, mm. they can say bad things about you including your family members they can say bad things about <laughs> you know pretty much anything that you do uh, including i'm sure that if i run a podcast tomorrow they're going to be saying bad things about mm. it too so um so i think it, what it comes down to is how you process those feedback um mm-hmm. so not it, it's not necessarily a good thing to only get good feedback for for the, the things you do uh, but I, <clears throat> I do think that whether you have a website or your app uh, the criticism will always be there. The only question is, why are you having an app in the first place? I think, in my opinion, there's a couple of things. One is that you feel like the app can help you deliver the, your value offering in a better way or even amplify the value offering to your customers. Um, the second thing is that you're able to reach out to them in a very effortless manner because every almost everybody has, an, has a phone, right? More mm-hmm. so than than a computer. So that power is very um, real in the sense that if you want to reach out to them and get them engaged, um, you have a very easy way to do it compared to other mediums. So if you use it correctly, uh, you use the power responsibly and correctly, it could be uh, very beneficial for both parties. Mm-hmm. Do you know which app category is getting most of the downloads nowadays? Which one? Gaming? Okay. Games is always the biggest <laughs> one <laughs> because it's um, and that's why I think it also people should also learn from that in the sense that if you were to apply gamification to your thing, you also have a good chance to uh, be used for more frequently as well. But game is definitely by far the biggest category in you know in in, in app store. Mm-hmm. And uh, as as a outsider, not from the pure tech 
app world as i've done that uh, a few times uh, develop my apps as well so but mm. what do you what do you think gaming is a hardest one to crack i think so because the production um, money like mm. the initial money that needs to be invested is going to be a lot because it's a game right mm. yeah it depends actually so mm. even a regular app can cost a lot of money to build sometimes even morning games it really depends on how complex the game is i used mm. to be a game programmer for quite some time uh, i was at the time building pc and xbox games and i've done a lot of online games as well so mm. it, it really depends on a couple of things one is are you building the game by yourself are you funding it yourself or are you you know do you have like a uh, so it really comes down to the business model if the business model is uh, allows you to build a game and fund the game then it won't be as costly it could still cost but it won't be as costly because you have, you have a business model you can fund that uh, same thing for an app uh, I, I used to create app for companies like iHeartRadio and um, 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 and Discovery Channel those kind of apps cost millions of dollars to build and it's ongoing it never stops so I would say when it gets to that point pretty much uh, a regular app it's pretty much going to cost the same as an app, a game because in fact, in fact actually a game has an end to it because you have to release it mm. uh, you don't con- constantly add changes to the game because you don't want the game to have different ex- sort of you know, surprises experience whereas with an app it's always evolving and you always add features to it to make it better and better. So I would say if for the long game, I would say app could end up actually costing more. Uh, mm-hmm. But initial costs and time, it, it depends on the complexity of the game you're talking about, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned you have worked with uh, iHeart, Discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you have worked with WeWork, Walmart. Yeah. How did you yeah. reach them and how were you able to convince them like, yeah, that they should bet on your company? Yeah, so initially, a lot of these companies uh, really come to us more on a consulting basis in a sense that because we have done apps, uh, you know, ourselves, we publish apps and ourselves, which is, which is kind of an unusual. Most companies out there that consult for other people, they don't have any experience building out their own apps, right? They're just doing it for money and for, you know, just to, con- to consult. But because we've, done, we've been through the whole process of publishing our own apps and a lot of them actually have been featured as well. We know the whole process. And so a lot of these bigger companies really either come through us through word of mouth, like people that know us in the industry and someone that we used to work with that end up going to a different company and then they, they, they came back to us. Um, so some of that is that. Some of that is it, it really through people looking for, so in the case of iHeart, they're looking for someone to help them launch their um, app into the automobile space. So mm-hmm. that's how they found me. And so, yeah, that's how I help them launch. We don't just help them build, we actually help them build up the whole team over time as well. So it really depends on their need. Um, and uh, yeah, but a lot of these things uh, really, they come to us through word of mouth. Mm, word of mouth mm. Um, mm. Is, re- is really important even nowadays because when the market is so much clutter, not only in the mm. app, app marketplace, like other places as well, other markets, it is getting really competitive if the, companies delivering like exceptional value i think word of mouth is the way to go and it becomes an automatic process for a company people are doing it on on their own you you're not forcing them uh to say their name or give them the recommendation it's basically they saw the quality of your product or services and now they're they're recommending it to other people right yeah yeah definitely i think word of mouth marketing is probably one of the most powerful one because 
the the cycle to close a, a sale or a deal is so much quicker because the trust is already there. Mm-hmm. They come to you rather than you going to them, right? Like if you go to them, you have to do a lot more convincing, a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more communication. When mm-hmm. they come to you, it's really them engaging you. If you're able to do the job, and once you prove that you can, the deal is pretty much sealed. So definitely, I think word of mouth is a very powerful um, mechanism, and we we get we get a lot of actually we don't have a big sales force. Most of most of our uh, projects come through the door through word of mouth. So it is almost like an endorsement in a way. Um, mm-hmm. People people want people want people that they know, right? Like if you want to get someone else to help you, you prefer someone that you either someone you know that knows that person, mm-hmm. because then that 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 really reduces a lot of risk because someone else has already sort of done the vetting for you. And I think word of mouth has that element because someone has already done the vetting for them. So they don't have to go through that and take that risk of trying out some, some, something new. Yeah. True, true. And if the founder have got the idea, okay, founder got the idea, now they want to start mm. with the development. Do you think mm. they should validate with low cost prototypes? And how, like, how can the fa- founder validate the app idea before spending a ton of money? Yeah, so I always tell people do it as cheap as possible. If sometimes some ideas, you don't even need an app to test it. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be as simple as going out and ask questions. It could be as simple as using existing tool to use it. Like if there's a way to test it with SMS, with uh, you know whatever whatever apps that you already have on the uh, on the phone to and put them together to just get it. Because technology is really there to deliver the solution. It's not really the solution itself. So a lot of times, if you don't have an app, it just means that the solution that you have is not as optimized and not as sort of scalable, but you can do it. You can do it, you know, either with your, you know, pen and paper. And, and so, so I would say, yeah, rapid prototyping, it's a quick way to validate, a cheap way to validate. And once you validate that and have a good business model to go with it, then you go build the app. A lot of people, I think, do it the other way around. They spend a lot of money to try to build the app get it out the door and then find out there's no, not really a need for it. But by that time, um, you would have spent a lot of time and money on the app. It's not cheap to make an app. And we've done the same, made the same mistake, so we know this process very well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you touched on the point of low-cost prototypes or rapid prototyping. Can all mm-hmm. the ideas be validated by rapid prototyping? Because um, I ask you this question because when the customer expectations have mm. reached like really, really high level after seeing so many polished products into the market. Yeah. Like, if you're going to launch your half-baked prototype, what do you think? Mm. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would say that when I say prototype, I don't mean so much the, uh, like a half-baked app. Mm. When I say prototype, I mean use a different approach to prove mm. that you can solve, there's a pain point to that problem and that you can solve the problem in a you know, in an effective manner. Mm-hmm. So, so, but a lot of problems that the app is trying to solve, you can solve it without an app. So if you can solve it without an app, then, then you should do it. Really, the only thing that is really difficult to sort of do it uh, with prototype is a game because a game is very immersive. You need the visual, you need the sound, you need all of that, right? Um, but anything else that is not a game and you have that there's this problem that you're trying to solve, do you technically speaking you don't need an app you can just solve it by making sure their pain point is there the need is there people are willing to pay for it um and then 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 you go solve it with an app because really the app to me is a way to automate your 
solution and scale your solution to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So app is a app can be validated by different means. It does not have to be via a prototype. It can be via exactly. SMS, maybe doing the survey. If it is an actual it, problem, and the, yeah. there, there are going to be some proofs somewhere else. Like this is an actual problem and people are craving for a solution, right? Exactly. Like I'll give you an example. So let's just say right now we're working on an app for one founder. It's, you know, his thing is about, and this is, the yeah, app's already out there. Let's just say uh, in, a, in, a, in a situation of, let's just say creating a friendship or dating app, right? Which mm-hmm. we've already done. We built well, the world's first uh, friendship dating app for autistic community, the autism community. So let's just, if you try to, if you try to prove this concept before you do it, you can find friends or uh, relatives or someone that have autism. And then you can say, let me try to help you find friends. So you don't need an app for that. You can do it by hand. You can do it manually. You mm. try to pair them up with people. You try to see if there's a need. You try to see when it's tell you to, when you ask them if they have friend uh, this issue with making friends. If there's if the need is there, if I'd be frustrated. So when you see that pain point is there and you're able to solve it yourself, then it's a matter of using app to then automate that process and scale the process or scale the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we can consider app as more so of a automation process or reducing the time for anything, any activity that's going to take some time, right? Exactly. Because it's because with an app, you can probably do things in two steps, but whereas mm. without an app, you might have to do things in 10 steps. I'm not saying everything falls into like, it's like the same way, but mm. uh, you'd be surprised how many things is really a kind of translation from automating it and scaling it, uh, scaling the, the, the solution to a problem. Um, obviously there are things that you cannot do it with, just manually using existing tools that you have to, for example, entertainment type of things like a discovery channel, you do have to have an app to deliver the content. But before you have an app to deliver content, you can create the content, show people and make sure that they actually like the content before you make an app to deliver the content, right? Mm-hmm. So if you deliver an app with content that with an content nobody likes, then it's kind of, you know, kind of a point, kind of, it's kind of a pointless to be spending all that money to create the app to deliver the content. Mm-hmm. True, that's going to be pure waste of money. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And what are your thoughts on the latest no-code technology, rapid prototyping? Like what is happening in that world? Yeah, um, good question. So I, I always think there's no lunch, uh, no free lunch in the world, hmm. anything, right? So you, you're thinking that you're getting free lunch as, as in terms of cost, in terms of time, because no-code can probably make it faster. You don't have to learn how to code. But there's always some cost attached to it. For example, if someone is making it very easy for you to use, um, so in, in my, so we, we have actually used no code before as well with, with clients. I think no code is good for fast prototyping, like what I was saying just now. There. So one way, if your app is, if you really have to have an app, um, you can use no code for some projects. I wouldn't say for all, but it has to sort of the problem itself has to blend in with the no code solution in a sense that. If your, pro- if your thing is highly customized, using no code could end up costing you more money and time. Another thing is that, so no code, you have to use it properly for the proper problem domain. If you, if you use it for the wrong thing, it's not going to work. The second thing is with no code is because they're not able to charge you so much uh, upfront when you're developing it because it's pretty effortless, they have to charge you for other things. For example, the storage. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of no code solution uh, like Bubble, they they would charge a lot of money. So it's actually not a scalable solution, meaning that once you get it to a few hundred, a few thousand users, it's not, it's not even that big of a mm-hmm. user base, you might end up paying way more than, uh, than you would if you have your own app. So, um, so watch out for those traps. 
But I would say if you want to prove something out, you don't want to spend tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars and you want to just have something that is working that you can show people, um, that's a viable solution if, if the solution fits with your problem's uh, domain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do you think uh, minimum viable product is still a term in the market? <laughs> yeah, very much so. So I think, the, I think the mindset is to create something like... It depends on the, the sort of the path you're trying to take as well. So in, in, in some cases, people want to just fund it completely. Then they can focus on MVP. But if you want to also at some point get funding, meaning someone is paying to help you continue to do the mm. development, then you want to make it not just a minimum viable. You want to make it, I don't know if there's a better term for it, but essentially you want to make it so that you want investors to like it as well. Right? What is the minimum number of things you're going to build that makes people like it? Right, mm. so, so, so I, I think I think it's aside from being being minimal, it should be, uh, you know, minimum 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 investable product, mm. right? Mm. So, so you don't want the investors to look at it and say, no, this is too, you know, too thin or too dumb or too, you know, unlikable, and I don't want I'm not going to invest in it. So it's important to think in that hat as well, but minimal for sure because we do have a tendency to want to overbuild, especially uh, first time founders they tend to want to overbuild and that's not, not a good thing because you, you have too many things to validate when you, when you release it. Mm-hmm. I've also learned in the same way, like minimum viable product, yeah, there's a terminology I go with the minimum functionalities, but we, but we, when, when you actually hit the market, it's, things are different. Sometimes people expect not the exact solution that came, you came up with in the market. Maybe yeah. you took six months for the production and, in six months, mm-hmm. things changed, and now they're uh, expecting something else. Maybe uh, like version two or three of that solution, same solution. So, waste of money yeah. or gone waste down of, the drain. Waste of money. Yeah. yeah, I think the key thing with minimum viable product is that it at least forces you to think the opposite direction, right? Because mm. if you if your mindset is already trying to build something minimal, you don't need this concept to remind you to not go overboard. The problem is us human nature is that we want as many sort of belts and whistles as possible. So this is at least a way to control you from going crazy with what you're trying to build. Um, so so it, is, it is a good reminder. It's also very hard to do. It's just very hard to, because one strategy to build an app is to build a minimum set of products that uh, would still be called product for, your, for what you're trying to offer as a solution. And then you validate it and see how that works. And then you get a feedback and build iterate on top of that because really a product never really finishes you keep on adding to it but if you add too much to it initially how are you going to take it away because when you take them it's actually easier to always add than to take away something from Mm -hmm. someone right Mm -hmm. so so if i offer you 10 things today and then i take away three things tomorrow you're going to upset someone so there's actually a lot of um reason even for psychological reason to not do too many things at once because Taking away is always more difficult than adding. Mm-hmm. I kind of agree with this because if the survey or feedback is telling the company that 80% of the users are not liking this functionality, they're going to thinking of removing it, but 20% liked it. Now they're going to now that um, annoy that 20% of uh, the people who like that particular functionality and yeah, they they gained. Maybe they're gonna gain those eighty percent in the next rollout, but they lost that twenty percent 
due to that removal of that particular functionality i think so yeah totally yeah yeah mm-hmm. so how can the founders validate the right team for their app uh functionalities minimum viable product yeah we discussed all that but who mm-hmm. can develop it if i'm not a tech founder how mm. can founders validate the right team for for their app can you mention uh, right. a few of the factors yeah so founders usually only have a few different options and this is actually a, one of the toughest you know, sort of the biggest challenges for founders they either have someone that they know that they trust that could be their partner that can help them right so tech co-founder is a very common thing um, mm. there's a, there was upside and downside with that i, I can get into that but The other option is they find someone, they pay them either through freelancing, whatever. There's still risk, obviously. If you don't know how to do tech, you don't know if that person is doing the right job or not. The third job is you go to an agency uh, to do it. And let's just say you pick the right agency. Not, not, I think a lot of people pick the wrong agency and then end up paying because of cost reason they want to save money, but they pay, end up paying wrong agency. That's a different factor. But let's just say you pick the right agency. It's still... Um, so yes, then now you have a credible team, full team to try to support you in you know design, development, all that stuff. But that's still not ideal because the team, the agency model is actually very. It goes against the entire thing that we talked about so far, MVP, mm-hmm. because most agencies are not built to be thinking that way. They want to make cash from you because that's the only thing they get from you is cash outcome. <clears throat> so, because the outcome with you is cash. They have no incentive to help you build less. They want to build more, and then they don't have. They have no incentive to help you launch sooner. They want to launch uh, later because the the more time they spend on your app, if it, especially if they're charging based on time, the the more time they want to spend on it. If they want, if they're charging only based on a fixed basis, but let's just say you get a good price, they might get someone very cheap in order to make that profit margin. So the whole model with agency is actually quite broken when it comes to helping startups. And I usually advise startup founders to not go agency if possible. Now, the fourth way, which is the most difficult way to do, is to find an agency or a company or a team, credible team, but they are willing to work with you on a cash equity basis. This is what we do. So, meaning they get cash from you, probably just enough to cover the expenses, but they are banking on your success by getting equity from you. There are a couple of things that can that this can do here. Because they are getting your equity, they get a, They will only work on your app if they believe in your idea. Now, uh, if you are uh, only paying them cash, anyone will take your project because you're paying them cash, right? They they want your cash. They don't care about your idea. Hmm. But if they're banking on you and the success of your product in order for them to realize gains from that, they will not take on your product unless they think there's something about your products. Uh, the, there's potential. There's um, you know sort of uh, that that you have a uh, potential to success to succeed. So. But this is very hard to find. So the downside with the fourth model, which is a cash equity model with uh, an agent, a so-called I call it a venture builder. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. It's super hard to find because most people don't operate in this manner. This is just way harder to do this. It requires a lot more. They have to have their own runway money. They have their own money saving somewhere to fund that their operation because they're not making much profit in front. Uh, they're banking more on the long term, uh, longer term outcome. So, but this support option, I think, is the best for startups, but it's also the hardest to find. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've bought myself uh, many times by hiring the wrong agencies. <laughs> As you said, yeah. uh, they're gonna yeah. go after your money. Uh, their yeah. intention is not is not to launch an app as soon as possible. It is mm-hmm. it might be the intention of the founder, but not the agency because they want to not make money, agent. right? They want to make money. They also don't really um, 
suffer the, the consequence of making wrong decisions. For example, if you come to me and I happen to know one technology, I'll tell you this technology is the best for you. Why? Because if I don't know the other technology that is better for your project, I'm not going to make money for if I tell you the other product technology is better. So right off the bat, you know that that's wrong and that they're not telling you what's the best technology for what you want to build. Because they, in order to make money, they have to recommend the technology they are most familiar with to you. So from day one, you already planted the you already planted the, the seed for for failure because you are you know using the wrong tech. But and why are you do you use the wrong tech? Because the people who recommend you, um, they don't suffer the consequence of them telling you the wrong thing, mm. and that's 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 why it's broken. Yeah. So how to select the tech stack for an app? Should the founder be fully relying on the developing team to come up with the decision or something yeah, else? Yeah, founders. Founders should always be informed with the options that are out there. There's actually not that many options out there when it comes to the tech. Um, they they should be they should be informed with the options that are out there and then figure out what's best for them. Usually, there really comes down to two things. I would say either you do native, which is iOS and Android, or you do cross-platform and React Native for Flutter. Those are really the three main choices. Um, anything else that that is outside of that, I tell people not to touch it. Unless you're doing games, then you can be using something like Unity. So, um, and and those two options have different pros and cons. With React Native, um, you can this is Facebook's Facebook technology. You can cover two platforms, uh, iOS and Android, and with the same code base. So it does save you time. Uh, with the other approach, iOS and Android, sort of native approach, uh, it costs you more time. You have to have twice the team, you know, size of the team because you have Android and iOS people doing it. Uh, but it's more powerful in the sense that you are, you know, you're dealing with the things at a bare metal level. So there are pros and cons either with either approach, um, and it really depends on the, the the budget constraint and the timeline and the overall nature of the app. You know, if it is is it using a lot of 3D, is it using a lot of things that are that require a native approach? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the decision has to be made on the founder end whether to go with the native hybrid. Of course, after understanding pros and cons of each uh, each of the option, because I, I've learned uh, so far yeah. with the uh, native apps, uh, people mm-hmm. are going with the native apps when the functionality is really heavy. It's dependent yeah. uh, highly on uh, the the actual hardware of the the, the phone. Um, that's mm-hmm. when people go with the native apps. It can be vice versa, but what uh, I'm what I'm trying to say is decision has to be made according to the pros and cons of both the option dependent on the idea of the app exactly very much so on the product itself the product mm-hmm. itself the business side of things you know who are you serving uh those things are important to take into account at the end of the day is really you know what is like what comes out for i mean the use from the user standpoint you know if the cross-platform solution if that's going to be performant enough fast enough that people cannot tell the difference between the two and there's no reason not to not to go that route. Um, but if you do intend to use the latest and greatest, you know, every time there's a new technology that comes out, you want to use the feature in the iOS or Android, then you might want to go with native. Uh, although that is going to cost uh, you know more money and time to build. Hmm. Hmm. Agreed. So, how to get the right downloads, or how to get the initial download, should be the question from the customers. We build the That's app. Right. We came up with the hmm. idea. How to get the initial ones? Okay, as in the customer acquisition. Customer, customer user, acquisition. You, you, yeah, user acquisition. So 
that part I would say number one thing is if you are already built. And in fact, I always tell people, and this is one of the mistakes that most startup founders make, is they don't worry about traction until they finish the app. But the traction uh, activity, meaning the activity to get traction, should happen before you launch the app. Probably a few weeks. You don't want people to wait too long, but probably three, four, five weeks, you should start getting people to know about it. Uh, whether it's through social media, whether it be through friends and family, people should know about it. You should reach out to people that, or even, or, depends on what you're building, really. So it, you should start reaching out to those people, start building up the anticipation because you're solving a problem for them. And then, so when that time comes, and then the other thing too is that you should also get a lot of these people that are interested to be your beta testers. So that way you already have a ton, you know, some number of users using the app before you launch the app and you can gauge the reaction as well. So, so from that, from that, if you are really solving a real problems, those paid testers can technically speaking be spreading the word for you as well. Uh, but you should also have some, you know, traction related type of activities happening before you launch the app. So that when you launch the app, you would have some, I don't want to say thousands of downloads, but you would have a good number of downloads. Like one, one of the platforms we helped launch uh, six months ago, mm. the founders did a really good job with pre-launch and post-launch marketing. Uh, using various channels like uh, TikTok. And, um, but the key thing is they did it before the lab launch as well. And it's only been six months. They already have $100,000, which is highly unusual for any platform, mm-hmm. especially for founders that have barely any money, uh, very sort of, you know, very little money, not like a you know, huge fund or huge marketing engine that they can push the app out. They mm-hmm. did an impressive job to reach that number in such a short, short amount of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the time can be leveraged. The initial time can be as soon as you got the idea, you you thinking of starting the development, start your marketing activities as well because the development is going to take some time, maybe month, maybe week, maybe two two months. That that time can be leveraged for doing the marketing activity or maybe user acquisition, right? Yeah, definitely. But you don't want to do it too soon, meaning that you don't want to have people wait for three months for mm. that to come out. Right, so maybe when you think that okay, the app is about a month away from launch, uh, launching, uh, let's just start and reach out to people. Start making you know YouTube videos, start putting on Instagram, start doing various social channels. I mean, here's the thing too: is that there's so many different channels you can you can target. Um, you want to pick a couple channels, a couple uh, outlets, a couple channels, and start testing them and see which one is the most. Uh, because every every the people that you're trying to serve. Um, may not be showing up at, at Instagram, then you want to pick a different channel. Is it a blog? You know, is it email? Is it newsletter? You, you're going to pick different channels to test them out and see which one is the most effective. Mm-hmm. Okay. I really love this part. Any final thoughts that you would like to share with the founder, the, the person who is listening to this episode right now? Yeah, I, I would say that right now is the best time to get into making an app, if you, especially if you have a good problem that you're trying to solve, that app can solve very effectively. Um, I would encourage you to go do it even with the, all the caveats and with all the traps that I mentioned just now. Do it, make mistakes, learn from it. Um, doors will open, not new opportunities will open. Uh, even for people who uh, intend to maybe work a full-time job, for their career, having an app under the belt is going to help them increase their own value as well. The, the thing I, I always tell founders is go out there, do this thing, uh, learn from it. Obviously, learn from people's mistakes because you don't make all the mistakes yourself. It's going to be very costly in time. You know, time mm. um, it costs a lot of time as well. 
is that you're going to learn so much about yourself. You're going to learn so much about the market, you know, about the world in general. So I, I, I tell people a lot, everybody runs into problems that are unique to them, that they have a unique way to solve. And so my thing to the founders is just do it and then uh, wait for the new, wait for the doors to open. It's very, very exciting. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Mistakes are the best lessons. Um, and as soon as you're going to start doing it, as Boon just said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you improve maybe your product, maybe your life, because that lesson learned is not going to go away. It's going to stick with you forever, maybe mm. with the next venture, maybe with the next job that you're going to do. So, yeah, go for it. Where can we uh, where can we learn more about your business if someone wants to get in touch with you? Yeah, so they can go to a website, tapalo.com, T-A-P-P-O-L-O.com, or they can email me at boon, B-O-O-N, at uh, tapalo.com. Yeah, if someone wants to get in touch with Boon, please go to the website he mentioned. And if you have any question, feel free to reach him uh, via email. And uh, thank you so much, Boon, for coming to the show today. This was really awesome. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ishu. Thanks for having me.